So we're in a series titled Blessed. We're studying the Beatitudes of Christ found in Matthew chapter 5. There are eight Beatitudes, attitudes that God blesses. We want the blessing of God in our lives, otherwise why are we here at church? And Jesus says, you want to be blessed? Well, let me tell you how to be blessed. You cultivate these attitudes in your life, and the blessing of God will just pour out. One of the things that uh, I've been struck with as I've been studying the Beatitudes for this series is how countercultural they are. They are. Uh, who other than Jesus Christ tells us, hey, you need, to, you need to be meek. You really need to cultivate a poverty of spirit. Uh, you need to mourn for your sin. You need to be a peacemaker. Right? We're not, we don't hear that. That's not what the world says is the path to blessing. And so we're not going to just stumble into these things. We have to make a choice to cultivate them. And, and we make that choice by listening to Jesus, believing his promise that we will be blessed, and then building our lives upon his word. So with that in mind, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to just read the first 12 verses and then talk about the beatitude for today. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today's beatitude is found in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, so this is 7, next week is the last. We're in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Why is it blessed to be called a son of God? Well, who's calling us that? It's God. God's pointing at you and saying, hey, you're, you're kind of like I am. In fact, you're my child, and you're reflecting my character, and I'm proud of you and I claim you as my own. Can there be any greater blessing than that? Blessed are the peacemakers. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peace wishers, blessed are the peace hopers, the peace wannabeers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You, you're, you're acting. So a peacemaker is someone who acts to reconcile man to God or people to each other. It's, this is an active role, a peacemaker. You make peace where right now there is hostility. You are stepping into conflict. You're stepping into hostility, and you're, you're bringing the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ into that setting. And that is an incredibly high calling, and it's something that is an absolute priority to God. So let me give you a story of a peacemaker, Bruno Hussar. He was born in 1911. 
in Egypt. His parents uh, were Jews. And so he grew up uh, as, a, as a Jewish man. When he got to university age, he went to France. And he was studying engineering, and there he became interested in Christianity and, and ultimately converted. He became a Catholic and, and decided, I feel called by God to ministry. And so he trained and became a Dominican priest. World War II happened in the 40s. He was horrified by the Holocaust and what the, the Germans killing, uh, intentionally murdering six million Jews. Horrified by the Holocaust. And yet um, excited about the reconstitution of the state of Israel in 1948. Convinced that God was doing something special. And so he moves to Israel in the early 1950s. Wants to be a part of what God's doing there. Well, the reconstitution of the state of Israel was not applauded by everyone. The Arabs, especially the Palestinian Arabs, were felt threatened. 1949, they tried to kick the Jews out. There was a uh, war. And Bruno Hussar sees this, this tremendous tension between the Palestinian Arabs and the uh, Israeli Jews, and he wants to be a peacemaker. He wants to, to bring the peace of Christ into that unbelievable, hostile situation. And so, in 1969, he establishes a new community in Israel called Nevi Shalom, Oasis of Peace. And his idea was, I'm going to have half Palestinian Arabs and half Israeli Jews, and we're going to live together, and we're going to practice peace, and we're going to learn about peace, and we're going to then teach peace to the rest of the world. And Nevi Shalom still exists. Uh, he has died. Bruno has since gone to be with the Lord. Uh, but there are 256 people living as of 2015 in Nevi Shalom, half Arabs and half Israelis, and they are... Um, living out this peacemaking legacy of Bruno. He was nominated multiple times for the Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize, but the greatest uh, prize he ever received is God looking into his eyes and saying, you are my son. You reflected my character on earth. Welcome home. Am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? I mean, let's just take, take a moment and grapple. Who am I in my family? If your primary role in your family is a, is a child, are you a peacemaker in your home? Does your presence in your home increase the peace in your home? Or through your rebellion and through your uh, insistence on your own way and through your whining, are you, in fact, increasing the tension and the hostility in the house? If you're a parent, like, you know, if you're a dad like I am, am is my presence in my home creating peace? Or is it upping anxiety? When I walk in the door, does the anxiety in the house go up, right? Do people get stressed out? Am I creating uh, frustration in, in my kids and in my wife? Am I uh, rate, having expectations that are so high that people are feeling like failures? On and on. At work. Would people think of me as, wow, this, is, this is a person is an oasis of peace. They're, they're somebody who brings peace into our, into our business, into our, in, in your neighborhoods, in your friendship circles. Am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? Well, Jesus does not say that the troublemakers are blessed. It's the peacemaker who's blessed. 
So peace is a, a top priority to God. So much so that God deemed it worthy of sending His only begotten Son to earth to make peace where there was conflict between God and man. Do I value peace? Uh, do I hold it at, at high enough? Is it one of my core values, right? We said that the Beatitudes are the core values of the kingdom of God. Is it my core value more than winning, more than being right, more than getting my will done, more than getting my way, more than, um, than being satisfied? Am, how much am I willing to uh, take it on the chin in order that there might be peace? It's a top priority. Well, peace, um, peacemakers are people who are willing to embrace the pain needed to bring about peace. Peace almost always involves pain somewhere. Where there's hostility, where there's conflict, if, you're gonna, if there's going to be peace, usually somebody's got to suffer. And we see that in Jesus Christ, the ultimate peacemaker. Um, the, there was conflict between God and man, and the, the, the root of the conflict was sin, right? Our sin. And so there could not be peace between God and man unless sin was dealt with. And the only way the sin could be dealt with was for Christ to die, because sin has a penalty, and that penalty is death. And we couldn't pay that penalty without it meaning death forever and ever. And so God sent his only beloved son to hang upon the cross, and there paid the penalty for our sins. He dealt with the root issue of the conflict. He embraced the pain so that there could be peace. And so he sets for us an unbelievable example. So if you want to be a peacemaker, you're going to inevitably have to embrace the pain. And what is that pain? Well, that pain might just be as simple as saying, I'm sorry eat some humble pie, admit your part of the conflict. It could be the uh, confronting the person who has sinned against you and, and running that, that relational risk. Uh, it could be the pain of being inconvenienced and being a peacemaker, in, a mediator in somebody else's conflict and divulging yourself of your preconceived ideas and truly caring and setting aside time and energy to help them achieve peace could mean that in order to have peace you've got to forgive could be the pain of saying i'm going to i'm going to choose to overlook that i'm going to choose to give you another chance i'm going to take the risk of of trusting you again if if we want to be peacemakers we got to be willing to embrace the pain. So uh, a 5th century church historian by the name of Theodosius tells the story of Telemachus, who supposedly ended, was a catalyst for ending the gladiatorial games in Rome. In 391, Telemachus, who was a Christian ascetic, which means he was kind of a, a monk, He's in Rome, and he is uh, horrified by the fact that there are uh, people killing each other for sport and thousands of people, you know, in bloodlust cheering it on and thinking it's just a great spectacle. And so in order to stop it, he jumps down into the middle of the arena, and he gets between a couple of 
gladiators, and he, he starts yelling out, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop! Stop! Well, the crowd didn't, didn't want their fun taken away, and so they stoned him and killed him. Well, the martyrdom of Telemachus got back to the then emperor of Rome, Herodotus, who was moved by the story so much that in 391 he stopped the gladiator games. And that was the end uh, of the gladiatorial contests in Rome. Telemachus embraced the pain, gave up his very life so that, that uh, those uh, games of conflict would cease. Am I willing? Am I willing to take upon myself the pain necessary to be a peacemaker? What conflicts are in your world? What kind of pain might Christ be asking you to take on in order to bring his peace into that situation? You will be rewarded. We will hear, well done, son, well done, daughter. Let me talk about three particular ways, uh, actions of a peacemaker. Number one, peacemakers reconcile with their own enemies. Uh, you can't be a peacemaker if you're not going to reconcile with the people you've personally got conflict with. In Hebrews chapter 12, 14, we are encouraged. Strive for peace with everyone. Other translations, make every effort. Do everything you can to be at peace with everybody. Are we doing all that we can? If there is a conflict that you've got in your life, have you done everything you really can do to bring about peace? So conflicts usually come, there are usually two kinds of conflicts. One is the conflict that results from somebody hurting me, and I'm mad at them, and my heart is, you know, in danger of being bitter. What do I do? Well, Jesus addresses it very clearly in Matthew 18, tells us what to do. 18.15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. All right, so here you are. You're hurt. Somebody's done something wrong to you. At least you think they have. And, and there's a conflict. What do you do? Well, Jesus doesn't say after you've first told your 10 closest friends and asked them to tell their 10 closest friends and then posted it on Facebook, he doesn't say that. He says you go one-on-one. -on -one. He's very specific. Go one-on-one -on -one to the person with whom you have conflict and tell them how you're feeling. Give them a chance to repent. Give them a chance to reconcile with you. And if they own it and if they say, oh, I didn't know you felt that way or I was totally unaware I'd done that to you. Hey, you've, you've won your brother. You've restored the relationship. The conflict's gone. And you don't have to then go reel in all the ancillary damage that you've caused because of this, right? But if we would just take Jesus at his word and do exactly what he's telling us, uh, we'd be much better peacemakers. And it would, it would tamp down a lot of conflict in our lives. Not everybody is going to uh, respond appropriately, and, and God understands that. And so if this is a Christian who's in the church, then there are some additional steps here about ramping it up, bringing uh, other people into it. But again, he gives a very it's a very particular step-by-step -step incremental you know, advance. And so we need to just 
follow Jesus' advice, and we'll have a lot, we will be better peacemakers and have a lot less conflict in our lives. Okay, so the second source of hostility in our lives is typically when somebody else is mad at us. And and almost always for no good reason. All right? <laughs> they have no reason to be mad at us, of course. Jesus then in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, 23, uh, Jesus says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This highlights the priority God has on peacemaking. You're right in the midst of worship, right? You're offering to the Lord, you're being spiritual, and then the Spirit of God says, uh, remember, Sally's mad at you. Well, let me just continue doing what I'm doing. No, drop it, walk out of church, and go reconcile with Sally, and then come back. That's the priority God has on this. So, a uh, number of years ago, I had a, a staff member... I let the staff member go at the recommendation of her supervisor. And then word came back to me that she wasn't thrilled I had done that. Surprise. Well, I was thinking to myself, I've done nothing wrong. Uh, I was vindicated in doing that. I, I was very nice in the way I did that. But she was mad, and it was hindering her ability to participate in the church. And for a while, I was resistant. I've done nothing wrong. She has no reason to be mad at me. That's her issue right? But then I probably was reading my Bible. It's always dangerous. And it probably came across this. Hey, uh, it doesn't say, you know, if she's valid, if she's has something against you with validity, just says go. So I uh, called her and her husband and asked if they would meet with me. And, and, and I said, hey, I've heard that you're, you know, this isn't sitting well with you. And I want to give you a chance to, uh, you know, confront me on any, anything you think is wrong. And, you know, it didn't, at the end, she didn't say, you were absolutely right. I'm so glad you did what you did. Uh, but it did help, you know, uh, take away a lot of the offense and bring down the conflict significantly. Now, it always takes two people, right? And in the Bible's uh, very understanding of human nature. And so in Romans 12, verse 18, we read, if possible... So far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, we can do everything we can do. It's possible to do everything we can do to resolve a conflict in our lives, and the other person is not willing to play ball. And so if as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. But are we doing everything we really can do? So peacemakers reconcile with their own enemies, and then number two, they help other people reconcile with their enemies. Uh, think about a, and I asked her if I could share her story, and she said, go ahead. Uh, so a good friend of ours, she was having such conflict with her parents, and she was done. She was just sick of the, of the tension, sick of the uh, turmoil it brought her, and so she wanted to cut her parents out of her life, to the point that she contracted with a an attorney, paid an attorney to write a cutoff letter with legal ramifications if mom and dad tried to continue a relationship with her and her kids. Fortunately, she thought she should read this letter to her good friends before she read it to mom and dad. And so Sabrina and I had a chance to, I remember sit, we were sitting at her kitchen table, 
and along with another uh, beloved couple friend of hers. And so she reads us this letter that her lawyer has drafted. All four of us who love her desperately are listening to this. Feel, I mean, we, we've been hearing the pain. We've been, we know how stressful that relationship is. On the other hand, we all, we, all of us were th- thinking, this is a total disaster. You know, your relationship with mom and dad is very, it's, in, it's critical. And you're about to cut them out of your life. And if you send this letter, it's going to be hard to recover from this. I mean, it was, it was stern, strong. So we, when she got done, you know, we gave her some appropriate empathy and then just said, have you really done everything you can do to reconcile with mom and dad? You guys haven't gone to counseling that we know of. Uh, and we said, look, there's, a, there's the Conflict Resolution Center of Anchorage. They're, they've got peacemaker ministry training. I know they're excellent. Would you give them a try? I mean, yes, it's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars, but it, it will be worth it if it can. I mean, you're already ready to cut mom and dad out of your life. Why don't you just pressure them to go to counseling? And so she took that advice. Her parents actually said, hey, we'll pay for the counseling. Praise God for that. Um, and it involved other siblings as well. And, and, um, but the result was uh, a much healthier family. They are so thankful. I don't know how many times I've heard, we are so glad. We went there. We're so glad we paid the money. Uh, and, our, and now they have a, a, a healthier family relationship. And isn't that great? That's a story of wonderful reconciliation. That, that needed, it needed the advice of her four loved friends, it needed the help of, of the uh, Conflict Resolution Center in Anchorage, some professionals who are trained in this. They needed other people to come alongside them and be peacemakers. And sometimes, sometimes we need others. We get stuck. And our, the conflict, we've tried what we can think to do to get out of the, uh, get out of the conflict, to resolve it, and we're, we're stuck in it. Man, at that point, to be a peacemaker someone that God has said you're going to be blessed, might just simply be to raise your hand and say, I need help. Please, can some of my brothers and sisters come alongside me in this conflict and help us break free? When I was at Faith Christian Community, we had uh, Bob Sloan and Alice Baum, who devoted a lot of time and energy to helping people get unstuck. They, they had gotten trained by the Peacemaker Ministries, which is excellent, and applied that, uh, those biblical principles, brought the gospel to bear. And it was unbelievable how many marriages were rescued and how many family conflicts and business conflicts were, were rescued. And the church picked up the cost for that. But, you know, that's the kind of thing the church should be involved in, right? Because it's a core value of the kingdom of God. So God has equipped some of you and called some of you to be that kind of a peacemaker, to be mediators in those conflicts. And, and if you're in that kind of a... Uh, conflict where you're stuck and you need help, please be bold enough to step forward and get the help you need. All right, final thing peacemakers do is they help people reconcile with God. No more significant conflict than the conflict that exists between God and man outside of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, then the wrath of God rests upon you because of your sin. There is enmity between you and God. But in Jesus Christ, God has laid a foundation for peace. But 
Romans tell us, how are people going to respond to the gospel if they haven't heard the gospel? And how are they going to hear the gospel unless somebody tells them? And God has chosen to uh, get the gospel out to the world through us. And so one of the greatest acts of peacemaking possible is evangelism. All of us are called to, by our lifestyle and by our words, introduce people to the God who loves them and help them be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 18. Let me read this. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and this applies to you, not just uh, the pastors, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are an ambassador. God has deputized you. He is sending you out into the world to bring the message of reconciliation. You're an ambassador of Christ, and your job is to tell your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends, be reconciled to God. He's made a way through his son, Jesus. Repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ, and have peace with God. I'm going to read you a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. I'm going to read the, each line slowly, and if, and if you want this to be true of you, just in your own heart, pray back this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. For it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life.